you guys. Welcome to Ratchet Dojo Radio. I am your host, Ro The Show. In this podcast, we're going to take you down, pass your guard, and then steal your girl. Thanks for tuning in. Hey guys, welcome to Ratchet Dojo Radio. I am your host, Row The Show. If this is your first time listening and you were wondering what this podcast is about, this podcast is all about jujitsu and everything that revolves around it. Here you're going to find real content, real conversations from real people in the world of jujitsu. Guys, as always, I am joined by my co-host. He is a multiple time fourth place champion. <laughs> he is going for the world record in Guinness Book of World Record as the longest purple belt in the world. <laughs> Evan, the slim shady. <laughs> What's up, guys? Guys, today we have a special episode. And uh, before I introduce my guests, and I'm sure that just like me, you guys have been in quarantine for a while and you have nothing better to do with your significant other or by yourself. And, um, you know, I'm sure that some of you have seen this meme of a gentleman behind a tree rubbing his hands and the meme goes, divorce lawyers waiting for quarantine to be over like... <laughs> So our guest today is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt. He is a best-selling author. He has been on multiple TV shows, including the Steve Harvey show. He is undefeated in the courtroom and one of New York City's top divorce lawyer. He, his name is James Sexy Time Sexton. <laughs> I just, you know, I have to tell you, go, go, going through third grade with that last name was painful. So I, I, there's no variation of it now that I haven't heard. So man, bringing me back, bro. Man, I was thinking about your your last name. I'm like, what what can I dub him as? It's a rough one. It's a rough one. I got to tell you, 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 you try to get through like 12 years of Catholic school with that last name, and it is not okay. It's, it's how you end up. It's how you end up becoming a sociopathic divorce lawyer. You know, you just. Well, I think uh, it, it worked out pretty well for you. Yeah, it's uh, all right. <laughs> so, James, uh, you know, for our listeners, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, Jim Sexton. I'm a uh, divorce lawyer in New York City. Uh, I represent uh, people in custody cases, high net worth divorces, you know, all kinds of child support defenses, prenup, postnups, all those family law kinds of cases. And uh, in my limited amount of free time, I train uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at Marcelo Garcia Academy, where I uh, I went from being a uh, overqualified purple belt like Evan to a uh, wholly <laughs> underqualified brown belt. And I've been a brown belt for almost four years now, and I'm in absolutely no rush to go beyond that. I still am not sure if I deserve the brown belt. So, but yeah, that's that's where I am. I live in the city, and I'm currently quarantined in uh, a house I have out in Jersey, uh, so that I can actually get to the grocery store without having to be uh, in a Mad Max movie. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm 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 like all the rest of you. I'm just quarantined, uh, sheltered in place, and uh, the court system is doing things by uh, by video conference now. So I just have to put on the top half of the suit now, and I can. Just uh, you know, I can I can go uh, uh, you know pants free for uh, for all of my court appearances, which is the only thing better than getting paid six hundred bucks an hour is getting paid six hundred bucks an hour and not having to wear pants. So it's a good gig. <laughs> 
So do you wear just like the top, uh, you know, and then you just wear like your underwear? <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not even kidding. I, I wear I don't just wear underwear because I mean I, I can't imagine the circumstance where I have to stand up in a video conference. But I usually just wear shorts, and uh, yeah, it's great. I, I put on like the top half of the suit, and uh, I look like I'm put together from the waist up. Well, we had one guest where he was just wearing his cowboy hat and his cowboy boots and his underwear, and we Amazing. put him on the show. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I, I said to the first judge who I appeared in front of by video conference a couple of weeks ago, that's when the court system opened back up. And I said it was clo- pretty much closed for a month except for emergencies and a very limited definition of emergencies. And um, I, I said, do we have to wear ties? And she said, yeah, you have to wear a tie. And I thought, well, she wasn't that specific. Like I could just wear like a tie, like nothing else than just a tie and be like, well, your honor, you, you didn't say anything about pants or a shirt. You just said I had to wear a tie. So I got a tie. You know, she didn't even say I had to wear it on my neck. I wore it around my head like Rambo, you know, but, uh, I thought, I thought the word, you know, I piss judges off enough. I, I might as well not make it harder on myself. So, Jim, do you think the, this is a temporary thing where the courts will allow this type of, um, uh, procedures to go on or will this be kind of permanent? I mean, here's what I'll tell you. It, it's actually, people don't realize it yet, but it's actually working out really well for litigants and, and probably not as good for lawyers because, the way it used to work is I'd have a nine o'clock court appearance at 60 Center Street and I would leave my office at, you know, 8.15, 8.30, which is my office on Park Avenue South up by 31st. And I'd take the six all the way down. And, and so it'd take me 20 minutes, half an hour to get there on the subway. And I'm getting paid for that travel time. And then at nine o'clock, when the case is scheduled for, there'd be 12 other cases scheduled. And our case would get called at 11 o'clock. So by then I've made $1,500 for just sitting there and doing nothing. And then we do a 10 minute court appearance and I'd go back to my office. And and so now they schedule a case for an 11 o'clock video conference. It starts at exactly 11 o'clock and it's over at exactly like 11.15, 11.20. So it's 20 minutes of billable time versus four hours of billable time. So it's actually really good for the for the client because, and, and I don't mind it to be honest with you as a lawyer, because I, I always felt very odd about the fact that people are paying so much money for us to sit around and wait. So I hope some of the, like, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And I think that COVID, one of the only positive things I can say is it, it forced the system to do things differently. Like in New York State, you can now notarize documents by Skype or FaceTime. And you used to not be allowed to do that, which was so stupid because I'd have clients who'd have to come from Brooklyn to my office in Manhattan just to sign a document in front of me. And now they can do it by Skype or by any kind of video conference. And that only happened because of the emergency orders issued by Governor Cuomo. But you know, I hope they keep those things in effect because it, it, it'd be amazing. I mean, trials you need to do in person because you really have to be able to like put on the shell of a trial and smell blood in the water on cross-examination and stuff like that. But like these routine conferences, which make up most of what lawyers do, there's no reason they shouldn't keep it as a video conference. It's so much better for the client. Sounds like it's going to work out for a lot of businesses. Obviously for some businesses, it's not. Uh, So James, just to get a sense of who you are, uh, you know, how does a divorced lawyer, a successful divorced lawyer get into jujitsu? I was I was involved in martial arts from the time I was seven. When I was seven years old, I, I used to ride my bicycle to this Chinese restaurant, and um, this is like the late 1970s. And I used to, I'm, I'm 48 now, and um, I used to ride my bike to this. I was broke. I grew up broke, and I would save up like change that I found on the floor and like you know on the street. 
and I would buy myself a pint of pork fried rice every Saturday. And then I would ride my bike back home and I would watch on Channel 11 the Kung Fu Theater that they had at like one or two o'clock in the afternoon on TV back when there was like only like 12 channels. And this was like my favorite thing to do. And behind the Chinese restaurant, there happened to be a judo school. And I, I just kind of like one day when I was waiting for my rice, I, I went in and um, the, the guy who was the teacher, the sensei there, Shumway was his name. And he said, um, yeah, you know, like we don't train kids. It's just for adults. And I asked if I could just like sit and watch. And he said, sure. And I, I sat and watched and I came back every Saturday and would just sit and watch. And then eventually, you know, he was like, all right, if you want to practice a little bit, you can. And I ended up training there for, you know, two or three years at judo. And then um, they had a teacher who came in and taught Okinawan goju uh, karate. And I studied that from the time I was about nine until I was in my early 20s. And uh, I loved it. I mean, it was just everything to me. And uh, I, I, my martial arts was just my whole life. And um, I, I fought uh, back then. It was a full contact karate, but uh, there really wasn't mixed martial arts back then. And um, and then when I got to college, I I kind of got more into, you know, chasing women and playing guitar um, because you get laid a lot easier playing guitar than doing Okinawan goju karate, I found out. <laughs> And my man, um, and that yeah, and that seemed way more important. So I I uh, I focused on that. I really put the martial arts down, and then I didn't go back to it until my divorce. I, I got married to my college sweetheart, and we split up. We had two kids, and we split up when the kids were very young, and it was very friendly. My ex-wife is still one of my best friends. My sons are older. One's in law school, and the other one's finishing college. And um, when I got divorced, I was like, all right, I can do what most guys do when they get divorced, like grow a goatee, get a convertible and sleep with women in their early 20s. Or I could try to do something healthier and like be a good dad. And, and so I thought, you know what, I, I should maybe go back to the martial arts. And um, I ended up going back to a Muay Thai uh, kickboxing school. And uh, I, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed being back in the martial arts. Again, it's been a long time, but the muscle has memory. And I remembered how to throw, like, you know, how to throw a roundhouse kick. And I really, like, I still had the chops of it because I, I had my black belt when I was in my 20s. And uh, they had a, a, a jiu-jitsu class uh, that was very small. And, and it met twice a week. And I stuck around for it. And I got, like a lot of people, I got just ragdolled by a 140-pound woman, a young woman, and just got thrown around like a child because I had no ground fighting experience of any kind. And I said, you know what? This is like, I got to learn how. Because I think like most people, there's the people that get really ragdolled in jujitsu and then they go, okay, you know, screw that. I don't, want, I don't need to learn that. Or, or you go, oh my God, I have to learn how to do this. And, and that was my reaction to it. So I found a, uh, a school uh, in Fairlawn, New Jersey called Performance Jiu-Jitsu Academy uh, under a professor named Luvin Talaro. Great guy, great jiu-jitsu guy, you know, tough black belt under uh, uh, Hoyler Gracie. And he was actually at the academy where uh, Dominica uh, started and uh, where I think Gianni uh, might have even been, or no, JT, JT. He took JT up to Purple Belt. And um, small school, but, but really, you know, been there a long time. Lou started it when he was a purple belt in the 90s. And he took me up to uh, Blue Belt. And then I ended up moving to the city. And when I moved to the city, I started training at Marcellus. And, and that was my jujitsu journey. But I would like a lot of people, as soon as I found jujitsu, I was absolutely obsessed. I, I went to train in Brazil two or three times. I've, tra I've trained in Barcelona. I've trained in any place I go. Any I love to travel in any place I travel. I always find a school and I always train and, and I find it's like the greatest way to just meet new people and make like, you know, immediately, you know, you guys know better than anybody that, you know, the minute you finish a six minute role, you're like best friends with this person, even if they don't speak your language. So I now have friends all over the world that I met through jujitsu. 
I actually don't know that. Usually after I finish a six-minute roll with someone, I hate them. I'm yeah. Just joking. Yeah. I'm just joking. yeah. That's why you said you hated me. I remember that now. <laughs> uh, only, only probably because I tried to wrist lock you. That's that's usually the best way to no, get someone I, to hate me. I, actually, we never rolled. I don't think. No, I, I don't think we have. Yeah. Uh, just saw you in the account. Actually, you were. Um, you know what? We have. Uh, you had a go rough bag, and I had a go rough bag. And you oh were, yeah, right on. And now I know exactly who. Yep, yep. Uh, okay. And cool. Your flag was turned upside down. I think it was like right when Trump. Uh, yes, 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 yes. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Right on. I still have that bag. I love that bag. Yeah, they're the best. Yeah. So, so James, my only experience of you is obviously you know passing, you know, say, seeing people from the gym. But your name mm-hmm. pops up in a lot of jujitsu competitions. And uh, yeah, are you like a, a you're like a major sponsor in some events? Or oh, and yeah, do you sponsor, sponsor a lot of athletes. Uh, you know what happened is is I I've been very blessed because uh, you know I, I I was already established in my career when I got into jujitsu, so I had the the resources to be able to to train at a lot of places, and I travel a lot, so you know I, I made a lot of friendships. I you know Robert Drysdale is a good friend, and um, I'm friends with a lot of the Pedro Sauer black belts out in Utah, and I, I you know Hoyler Gracie and I became good friends, and um, you know Leo Xavier, and, and he trains under Hickson, so I, I had the opportunity. Hickson. And I've had, I mean, I always joke that like my lack of ability at jujitsu is not the result of lack of great teaching because I've, I've had privates with some of the best people in the world. I, not that I retained any of it um, or that you could tell from my game. But I, I've just had a, a great, great time. And, and when you do that, you, you end up at a lot of academies and you meet a lot of young athletes who I'm just blown away by their stories. I mean, I, I came from nothing. I, I came from no money. I worked three jobs. I was a waiter um, all through school. I went to, to, to law school entirely on academic scholarships. And I, I started my law firm 20 years ago with, with $5,000 that I borrowed from friends and built it into what it is now. And um, I, so I have a tremendous empathy for, for people who are, who are working hard at something that they love um, the way I love the law and, and just struggling with monetizing it. And so whenever I've been in any of these academies, I just, I meet people and they, you know, they're just, their stories just shock me and, and, and inspire me. And I feel like we have an obligation to pay it forward, you know? And, and, um, so I've, I've been very lucky that I've, I've sponsored a number of, of, uh, of really good athletes. It's usually not a function of them being like fierce competitors. It's usually that they're just someone who has a work ethic that, that I admire. And, um, you know, I, 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 and very often they're brought to my attention by, you know, like Paul, Paul Schreiner's brought some, some athletes to my attention. And, um, you know, there, there's people that, that, uh, uh, you know, all my jujitsu sort of mentors have brought to my attention and I end up sponsoring their, their training or their events. And uh, that's one of my, my, my proudest things I've been able to do. I, I try to be pretty quiet about it. It's not something that I like kind of advertise that I do. But in the age of social media, people who you sponsor have a tendency to, to um, then shout you out on social media and thank you for, for what you do for them, which I, I certainly think is, is I appreciate. But um, for me, it's always been and I always say to them, listen, just, you know, keep working hard and, and you'll be incredibly successful and then pay it forward to to a young person who's uh, who's struggling. And, and trying to, uh, to to you know do the right thing for themselves. So, but I, I think that's the thing about the jiu-jitsu community is there's just so many inspiring people that just love this art, but but who are having a hell of a time monetizing it. And uh, 
that's very sad to me when you, when you see someone who's so good at something and so passionate about it and working so hard at it and they just cannot, you know, make a living of it. And, and uh, so I, I think we have a responsibility as people in the jujitsu community who have the ability to do it financially to try to, to try to, you know, pay that forward. No, that's great. So real talk, how many people are you currently sponsoring? I would say like seven or eight, probably. I have three that I, I sponsor on a monthly, like I'd give them a certain amount of money per month and it goes to their training. But but usually they're international because to be candid, like if I gave five or six hundred dollars a month to someone in the United States, like that that's helpful to them. But if you give that to someone who's in an impoverished area of Brazil, like that's their that's their entire living. Like that's a they can support themselves and their family on that amount of US dollars. Yeah, so totally. it's it's um shocking to me the the level, you know, there was a, a period of time where I was um sponsoring a jujitsu school that was in the Cantangelo favelas of Rio. Um, which is one of the more dangerous and, and terrifying of the favelas. And uh, Tejede had uh, uh, opened a jiu-jitsu academy there. And I think we gave him like maybe five or 10 grand total. And it was enough to like put in air conditioning to buy like six months worth of like snacks and juice for the kids that came to this thing. And it was it was just insane to me, like how far the dollar went. So it's not that I'm not like I'm certainly a patriotic person and I I love to do things, you know, in in, in my own hometown or backyard or in the United States. But just in terms of the meaningful change a dollar can make in a country where where the, the you know, the, the consumer income is so low just feels like the most bang for your buck so so i would say my three most regular sponsored people are are all in brazil and i have one in poland and then the rest are just athletes who you know like they'll call me up and say hey i want to do this tournament but i'm going to need this amount of money or that amount of money and i would say yeah go ahead and then they always say oh can i put you know a patch on my thing or can i and I always tell them like no like sell that to somebody if you can sell that real estate on your gi to somebody sell it to them like i don't need i don't need a patch like i don't need anything like that like it's not for advertising like nobody's ever been like hey who should i hire as a divorce lawyer what's that guy's gi say oh yeah i'll hire him you know like it doesn't come up you know but, so so maybe the- you could throw like a couple grand to mark to uh, put in air conditioning in the, the Chelsea gym. I think I think Marcelo's probably doing all right. I got to tell you, I, I'm not. Math was never my strong suit. Math was never my strong suit. But every now and then, as a businessman, I can't help but sit in there and I look around the room and I go, "All right, wait, what do we pay per month?" And uh, this here, one, two, three, okay. and I kind of go, "All right, Marcelo and/or Josh are doing all right." So. Yeah, yep, I agree. So um, I just want to change gears here because you know I I want to talk to you about this whole uh, quarantine thing and also like relationships because, you know, as funny as that meme is, there's a lot of truth to that meme. And, uh, you know, the two pe- the two businesses that's going to make out after this quarantine, as as the meme says, are divorce lawyers and on yeah. your meme, barbers. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's a fact. My hair is getting, getting really long. <laughs> yeah, mine is too, mine is too. But um, so, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, there is a lot of truth to that yeah. meme. And, um, yeah. you know, because, you know, you're, you're quarantined with the person that you married. And a lot of things happen, whether it's like fights, yeah. domestic violence, et cetera. Yeah. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, on that? I think it can even be simpler than that. I mean, the, the truth is, is I, my own father, you know, was a, was a businessman. He was a salesman. And um, I remember when he retired, 
he retired. He'd been the kind of guy that like, you know, he's like me. He left the house early in the morning, got home late at night. And then one day he, he you know, he retired. And um, my mom, who we'd been married to for almost 50 years, called me and said, you, you got to like give him a job in your office or something. And I said, really? Like, why? And she said, because I said for better or for worse. I didn't say for lunch. <laughs> and she's like, I, I can't do this. She's like, I, 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 he, she's like, he has not been home all day for any of our marriage. She's like, and he's here all the time. She's like, and I, I love him, but I can't do that. I can't do 24 hours a day, seven days a week with someone just hovering around, you know? And so I, I think, you know, it, it, it's a function of the fact that no matter how, ha- first of all, if we're in a happy relationship, you know, being surrounded by the person all the time and, and, and not having the option really even of kind of getting out or even just being able to benignly say like, oh, you know, I'm going to run over and get a cup of coffee or, oh, you know, I'm going to pop out and train. Like really what you're saying is I'm, I'm going to get out for a little bit. I'm going to have some time to myself. You can't do that in a pandemic without it going, wait, why? Why are you going out? You're endangering yourself. Like, do you have your respirator mask? Do you have your gloves? So it makes just the desire to like have some time away from this person, which I think is actually a very fair thing to say in a good relationship, in a healthy relationship, but it's, it's maybe hard for some people to hear. It makes that hard. So even a good, happy relationship, I think it, it strains it. But in an unhappy relationship, in a relationship where there's already tension, I think it's just turning the volume up on that in a huge way because you just can't escape from this person. And you're already, again, we're already all stressed with economic stress. You know, all you have to do to, to, to unhinge a relatively healthy marriage is put it under economic stress, put it under social stress, isolate it from its, its you know, outlets, like being able to go to, I mean, how many of us right now, like we haven't been able to train and we're just not ourselves. My, my staff jokes with me that they could tell the mornings that I train because the, the post jujitsu gym is like the easiest guy to deal with. And no jujitsu gym is like super stressed and ready to like snap at everybody. So after jujitsu, I'm, I'm calm as a Hindu cow. Like I'm just, you know, I'm chill. And, and if I don't train, I'm not. So I think, like I said, you take away the gym, you take away yoga classes that you can go to, you take away any place a person can go to, you take away people's physical contact with their friends, they're going to be stressed organisms. And then they're going to, you know, take that stress out on their partner or they're just going to be unpleasant to be around. So I think we're just going to see a lot of that tension flow over. And and before COVID, the divorce rate was 53%. So it's already a fairly gigantic number of marriages that end in divorce. So all we're really doing is, is just stressing something that's already a pretty dangerously flawed technology. Interesting. I mean, it's interesting. It's also potentially profitable. We'll see. I mean, we're, some of us are calling uh, COVID the Divorce Lawyers Relief Act of 2020. So we'll see. Yeah. So you mentioned that uh, the divorce rate is 53%. Roe just got married. I'm engaged. Just based nice. on the... Co- the I call that job security. And 37-second <laughs> conversation we've had up until this point. Statistically, one of us is going to get divorced. Which one is it going to be? Ooh. Me or Roe? <laughs> I have to. And why. Well, you you know, here's what I'll say. I'm going to say Roe. I'm going to say Roe. Because <laughs> if you've been because if you've been a purple belt as long as you've been a purple belt, you're used to disappointment. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not used to and disappointment. It also, and it also and it also means that you you just you're just comfortable with continually working on your technique. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
so Ro, you know, Ro is a black belt. Like he, you know, he may think he's good at shit. He's not that good at, you know, so, <laughs> you know, that could be it. You know, it is the chances of you finding the clitoris are way better. That's all I'm going to say because you're a tenacious young man. If you've been a purple belt that long. Oh man, that's, that's, that's messed up. You guys, <laughs> <laughs> you invited me, bro. I don't know what to tell you. Hey, listen, I, you know, I, you agreed to pay the 600 an hour. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to use Evan's uh, credit card on that one. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's fine. We, we accept that. We'll take a Venmo from Evan. No problem. His, uh, his check is good with us. <laughs> all right. So, so as far as um, you know, what else can we expect from relationships? You know, that can harm harm us. You know, during this quarantine, can you foresee any other is- issues? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a couple things. I think one, I think everybody. Everybody is sort of out of their routine right now, which which I think for for some people is going to be an invitation to making new routines, right? Like like COVID has forced a lot of us to change the way we do things. You know, like I'm a creature of habit. So like I went to the gym, you know, every day for the last year and a half and did basically the exact same routine. And then all of a sudden, okay, now I can't go to a gym anymore. So I had to like, all right, what can I do with dumbbells and a Peloton bike? You know, and and I figured out a way to adapt. But it, it forced me to have to change the way I do certain things. And I think it's going to have that same effect on people. And I think that could be a great thing. Like it'd be a great thing for relationships and also for individuals. But it also can be something that, that you know, creates in people like a, a sense of looking at your partner and going, wow, you know, like what, 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 who is this person? This person isn't the same person that I signed on with. I think it's also, I mean, with 30 million people in the United States going on unemployment in the last month, I mean, there's a tremendous number of people right now that are either unemployed or have had their hours cut or may even end up changing professions depending on what the new post-COVID world looks like, you know? And so I I think there's going to be a lot of fundamental changes. The optimist in me would like to think that, that, you know, the, the bonds people have, like, look, as, as someone who just got married, bro, in all seriousness, and, and Evan, as someone who's engaged, you know, there's 7.3 billion people in the world, and you found one and said, okay, that's the one. Out of the 7.3 billion, this is the one I want to ride with. And I think that's the coolest thing in the world. Like, I think marriage is like the lottery. You're probably not going to win. But if you win, what you win is so good that it's worth buying a ticket. It's worth trying. Because even if it doesn't work out, like it, it, it's such a great thing to have tried, you know, and, and, and I mean, even though, like I said, my own marriage ended, I didn't see it as unsuccessful. I have two amazing children. My ex-wife is still one of my dearest friends. And we've both gone on to find love, you know, uh, after that relationship. And, and so I, I think that, that, you know, you we're going to see, I think, a, a huge change in society. And that's also going to change a lot of people and a lot of their relationships. But it can be in a positive way, you know, if we just are open to it the right ways and we approach it the right way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just like what you said in your, in, in one of your videos on your website. It's just like, you know, it's just, it's an opportunity for us to like bring us together or like, you know, like really just kind of like reconfigure, like, you know, if, if this is worth keeping, you know, sort of. Exactly right. Exactly. It's either the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning. Right. You know? right. And I think we have a chance to, to do something different. Look, you know, I, I've said it before that, you know, we don't know who discovered water, but it probably wasn't a fish. You know, like when you're in something, you don't see it clearly. And I think that, that this is forcing everyone to look at their life and their day-to-day routine and the way they interact with people and with themselves and their environment. It's forcing the, the fish to see the water. And I think that could be an incredibly 
incredible opportunity for growth. Right. But but it also it's just like in jujitsu, you know. Like I, I I'm sure neither of you've made it as far as you have without having had some injury at some point along the way. When you injure yourself, like I, I tore you know my meniscus at one point, I, I dislocated my shoulder at another point, and it forced me to change my game when I was healing because I was like, all right, I, I still want to train, but I can't really play half guard the way I used to, or oh, I really want to do this, but I can't do you know these, this particular grip the way I used to. And all of a sudden, you realize, like, this is actually an invitation to, like, shore up pieces of my game and to stop doing the same thing I always did because it always kind of worked. And these are, like, the moves that are my go-to moves. It forces you to do something different. COVID can be exactly like that, this op- this, this pandemic. Not getting COVID, but, but the actual <laughs> pandemic of COVID is an opportunity for us to say, okay, I can't, you know, I, I, I can't use this grip anymore. Or I can't, you know, play this guard anymore. I've got to do something different. And I think that's a great opportunity if you, if you use it the right way. If you don't look at what you've lost and you look at the opportunity it creates for you, I think it can be a really good thing. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that. Um, I like the way you look at it because, you know, I mean, I think divorce is, is good because imagine being in a relationship and, you know, you realize 10 years from now, like you really don't right. want to be with this person. It's just, right. you know, right. and it's like you're in your thirties or forties, you know, but you still have right. an opportunity. So I, I think. Well, that was my, great. that was my situation. You know, I was, in, I, I met my ex-wife when we were 17, 18 years old, our first year of college. And we got married. We had our first kid when we were 24 and we were kids. And, and I have to tell you, there's, there's a lot of people I love that I wouldn't want to be married to. And my ex-wife is one of those people. Like, I love her, but I, and she'd say the same about me, that she loves me, but she wouldn't want to be married to me. That we're just really different people. If you're the same person when you're 30 that you were when you were 17, there's something seriously wrong with you. Yeah. And, and we just grew in different ways and wanted different things. And we were smart enough to say, like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to become fully myself. If I'm with you, I, I need to go and, and figure out who I am and, and go live you know, a new life and a different life and, and still support each other, still care about each other, still have ties to each other, um, mm-hmm. not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like we still love each other's sense of humor and love each other's ability to co-parent together. But, but you know, the truth is, is it doesn't we can look at relationships like chapters in a long book. We don't have to look at it like, you know, well, it's either total success and you die at the age of 100 in each other's arms or it was a failure. I mean, all marriages end. Like both of your marriages will end. They'll either end in death or divorce, but they'll end. Right. So so if you don't make it to death, does that mean it was a failure? I, I don't think it does. I think if, if you can say what I say about my marriage, which was that, you know, I, I left it a better man than the man I was when I started it. She helped me become a better man. I tell my sons all the time, your mom is one of the great loves of my life. She's one of the best people I know. And she helped me become a better man. And and I, and, and I think she would say to people that I helped her be a better woman and, and we grew. And I think that that's what that should be the goal of your marriages. Your goal of your marriages, I think, should be to just find the fullness of who you are with another person. Have someone who can see your blind spots and to see someone who's who's you know going to help you be a better person. What steps can you take, like, um, to ensure not that you have a successful marriage, but even if your marriage fails, that it kind of ends amicably and you know you both are maybe not even friends like you and your ex-wife mm-hmm. but, um, you know just on good terms and not yeah. like, going to the mattresses to kill each other yeah that's a that's a great question i mean i i think part of it is 
you know, the secret to ending a relationship well is probably the same secret to, to maintaining a relationship well. And that is, I think, just communication, like just being, you know, really candid with a person about about and, and, and that the first step in that is being really honest with self, which I think is harder, like the most dangerous lies are the ones we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and then we repeat them to other people because we, we we're lying to ourselves. So we start lying to everybody else. But I really I really think that if you can be very honest with someone. Look, we all know this, you know, from breakups and some other experiences we've all had where, you know, if you try to like gloss it over, well, I need some space or, oh, you know, I, my work is really busy right now. So like, whereas if you just say to someone, look, I, I just don't feel the way that I think I should be feeling right now. And I don't feel, it's hard to hear, but it, it's better to hear like that honest, candid realness from somebody. And then I think in a relationship, it's the same thing. Like we, we tell people what they want to hear when we're dating them because we think it's going to spare us a fight right now. But, you know, long term, that has a tremendous effect. Like no single raindrops responsible for the flood, but the flood is made up of all those little raindrops and all those little disconnections. That's the way relationships fall apart. We fall in love real fast and we fall out of love low. But then there's some precipitous event. It's like how people go bankrupt. They go bankrupt very slowly and then all at once. And it's the same kind of thing. Like if we fall in love fast, we fall out of love real slow. And then there's some big marriage killer or relationship killer, like cheating or financial stuff that happens. But if you really look at it, you didn't break up because you were cheating. You cheated because the relationship was having problems. And the relationship was having problems because of these small little things that all added up. And death by a thousand paper cuts, you know? Yeah, well, totally. And then it's just like what you said. Um, it's like the reason people break up is the same reason why they got together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very often because the things that attract us to someone sometimes are the same things that kill the relationship. I mean, you know, I, I'm a very organized, methodical, disciplined guy. And I've always found myself attracted to women that are like free spirited and chaotic and like, you know, just like like the opposite of me, like all the things that I kind of secretly envy in people. But, you know, there's a difference between what you like in someone you're dating and in someone that you're going to live with or be with in a long term way. And after a little while, you're like, oh, my God, this is like having a kid. Like, are you kidding me? And by the way, they're looking at me going like, listen, I was attracted to you because you like have your shit together. And you kind of made me feel less like a feather in the wind. But oh my God, are you stullifyingly boring? Like you do the same things every day. You eat the same thing for breakfast every day. Like you're so predictable. So the things that draw us to someone ultimately can be the thing that, that, that kill the relationship. Again, unless this is something that you guys find a way to really communicate about and talk about. And in my books, that's a lot of what I talk about is, is just those very simple ways that people can check in with each other in a relationship. Like most of my books, they're not about divorce. They're about how to prevent divorce. They're about how to how to keep a relationship from having the wheels come off. Like it's it's how to how to how to never end up in my office. I mean my first book was called If You're in My Office, it's already too late. And it's really about how to stay together. My second book is called How to Stay in Love. And it it was about, you know, exactly that. It was about the idea of how do you keep people together? How do you because we all know like preventative maintenance is easier. It's easier to maintain a healthy weight than to gain a ton of weight and then try to lose it all. It's a whole lot easier to like go to jujitsu class two times a week or three times a week consistently than it is to like, okay, I'm going to go eight times in the next four days and I'm not going to go for two months. 
you know, <laughs> and, and the number of classes might be the same, but the net effect is not going to be the same. And it's the same with relationships. Like if you're a super romantic guy on her birthday, Valentine's Day and Christmas, you're not going to do as well if on a, as you would if, if every Tuesday you did something sweet for her. Or if you were just, you know, on a regular basis doing small, kind, good things for your partner. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So last uh, question, which is, you know, what can, what do you think people can do now, you know, given that we are all locked up in a sense, you know, sure. what are some advices that you can give couples? A lot of sex. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> actually, I'm not kidding. Actually, I'm probably not kidding. No, um, I do. I do. I, I think sex is important. I think sex is the glue in relationships. So I, I do. I do tell people that I think that that if you're not uh, if you're not having an active sex life with your partner, that it's a sign of something bad. But I, I think it's a great opportunity to change. That's what I would say. It's a great opportunity to look at why you're doing things the way you do them. When, when we're forced out of our routine, it's a great opportunity to to have a life of design, not of default. You know, it's a great opportunity to say, okay, everything's been stripped away right now. We've got a blank canvas. And that's a great invitation to start over and to say, okay, why are we doing things the way we're doing them? Like you have a chance now to say, hey, you know what? Let's go for a walk every night after dinner. We can't, we can't go to a bar. We can't go to Jitsu. We can't go to, you know, we can't go to the movies. Um, we watched everything on Netflix. So let's, let's go for a walk. And, and maybe in part of that walk, like, you know, start a new habit of, of like, Hey, you know what? Tell me, tell me three things that I did today that, that made you happy. Or like, tell me three things I did today that annoyed you. And like, use it as an opportunity to just start having dialogue with your partner that when the world opens back up again, maybe that's the way you make a habit. You know, our life is just a succession of habits. It's just a succession of, of small things we do every day. And so, you know, people overestimate what they can do in, in a month, but they wildly underestimate what they could do in a year. And so I think if you, if you use COVID and the fact that it's forced all of us to kind of Stay close to ground, stay close to home, focus on, okay, let's have our meals, let's get what work we can get done, done. Use it as an opportunity to uh, to, to make new traditions for yourself and for your partner and, and see where that takes you. I think it could take us all good places if you try. Yeah, totally. All right. So, um, so a couple of questions that, that pops into my mind, which is like, you know, yeah. frequently... I hear from like, just, you know, just living. And that is like, you know, when it comes down to divorce lawyers. So, so a couple of things, real talk. So number one is what, how much is, how much do you, what was the biggest case that you've ever won? <laughs> and how much did you make? <laughs> uh, you mean financially or, yeah, or yeah, like, yeah. Uh, the most I've ever made on a single client probably is maybe 1.4, million on their case over the Alan, course of it. over the course of about 13 14 months. Got it. Got it. And is it true yeah. that lawyers like kind of go to lunch together? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. We do. Is yeah, that, we, is we, that real? we 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 joke yeah, we we refer to ourselves as the matrimonial mafia to some degree. I mean, <laughs> but it's a little bit like the mafia in the sense that we're at war with each other and there is no love really between us but we kind of all need each other. Yeah, and so there's sure. like a mutual respect. I mean, you know, I don't think that Mike Tyson hated Evander Holyfield. I think that, you know, he was his enemy for the purposes of a specific, uh, you know, moment in his occupation. And, you know, some people get carried away and bite people's ears off. And some people can smile and then beat the crap out of somebody. And I mean, we've all seen it at, 
at, at the school, you know, we, we, there's, there's the guys who can be laughing while they, while they kick the crap out of you. And then there's guys that like, it just feels like they have to have like this hostility in order to be successful. You know, you see it in UFC fighters, you see it in high level jujitsu guys. Like there's the guys that can just be like Marcelo, just the friendliest, happiest guy in the world. And then there's people that, you know, they really have to like find something to vilify on the other side. They have to straight up hate the person and in order to motivate themselves. Divorce lawyers are the same. We, there's some of us like me that, listen, I, I've punched, gotten punched in the face and punched some of the people I love the most. I get choked by my friends all the time. So I don't have to hate a lawyer to uh, to, to kick the crap out of him in court. Um, but there are some lawyers that they really have to like, they drink the Kool-Aid. They have to really get mad at you and they have to really dislike your clients. And I, I don't, I'm not one of those people. Like I, I look at every case like, yeah, I could represent the other side of me to come to my office 10 minutes earlier. So I, I realized that I'm just there to put on the fight. I'm like, I'm like a hitman, you know, like you, you know, I don't, I'm not the one you got to worry about. Like somebody, I'm a weapon, you know, a client hires me and they point me to the other person and I go after them and that's my job. You know, I don't take it personally, but um, the lawyers themselves, yeah, we all, we all pretty much get along. I mean, because, you know, we all have the same job. It's a stressful job and it's a, you know, like when, when you watch a fight, I mean, those two boxers in the ring, like those two guys are trying to kill each other, but those two people can relate to each other's lives better than anybody else in that building because they're the, they're the two guys that spent the last six months eating grilled chicken breasts and drinking water and, you know, doing three a days and, and, their lives are very, very similar, even though their jobs to kick the crap out of each other, they got a lot in common. So when that fight's over and those two can hug each other, I think that's a sincere hug because it's like, hey man, I know what you've been through and I know what I've been through. So it's the same thing with divorce lawyers. We 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 don't we never throw the game, you know, but we you know, we have respect for each other because we know that the job we do is an emotionally difficult job. Yeah. Yeah. Does the does the does the female in the relationship still have like an inherent advantage when it comes to child custody and divorce? Yeah, no, I don't think so. There, there was for a long time, uh, and even early in my career, there was still what was called the maternal presumption or with the tender years doctrine. And that was a presumption that a child under the age of seven would go to the custody of the mother automatically. But um, that was abolished in the in the 80s. And although it lingered a little bit in the minds of some of the old judges that were around, um, the bench has really changed in, in the last 10 years. Um, it's a much more diverse bench. And, and now we have marriage equality. So you know, there's plenty of families with children out there that are same-sex families with two fathers, two mothers. Um, so there really isn't a presumption. I mean, women, you know, are, have, are just as likely to be the breadwinner and the earner. You know, I, I wrote an article for Elle magazine a few months ago called The Last Remaining Feminist Taboo, which is about um, women who have to pay alimony. And they, they kind of are shocked that they have to do it because they're like, wait a minute, he, he's a man. Why would I have to pay him alimony? It's like, well, because he's a aspiring artist and you're a CFO of a dot com. Like, of course you have to pay. You make 10 times more than he makes. And, you know, that's really hard for a lot of women to accept because they, they were taught societally that, you know, alimony is something that, that men pay to women. And, 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 you know, they don't expect to receive it from someone who earns less, but they can't imagine they have to pay it. So there, there really isn't a presumption. There's just as many involved fathers, you know, now. I mean, it, the idea that like, oh, moms raise kids and dads go to work, that's been, you know, that's been outdated for a long time. There's a lot of fathers who telecommute who are just as involved, if not more involved than the moms. And there's just as many women that are successful executives and professionals. And, and certainly most households, you know, both people work in, in some capacity outside the home. So it really is just about the, the family as a dynamic and, and how does the child rely upon each parent. And, and um, there's really kind of a presumption of joint custody unless one person has mental health or substance abuse issues. Cool. 
One last question, uh, James, which is yeah. how important is a prenup? Prenup is very important. I, I think prenups are incredibly important because I think that prenups are, look, you know, I, I think for, it's important for two reasons. One is that if, if everybody got prenups, it would put guys like me out of business because you, you, the most expensive defense of a prenup is a lot cheaper than the easiest divorce, you know, or even the hardest divorce. Like it, it, it really, it, a prenup just simplifies the process so much. It, it, it says in advance, here's how we're going to do things. And the truth is, I think most people are in a better position to make decisions about their relationship than the state legislature is. Like the state legislature, they, they, you know, the, the, the speed limit sign says 35 miles per hour. You know, why, does it, why is 35 the right number? I mean, really, is 36 that much more dangerous? You know, like is 37 all that more? Well, we have to pick a number. So we pick that number. You know, it, realistically, speed limit signs should say uh, drive at a reasonable speed based on the road conditions and your own experience as a driver. But that's like really long signs. So I don't think they would do that. So, so they have to pick a number. And it's the same thing with like child support, you know, 17% for one kid, 25% for two kids, 29% for three kids, 31% for four kids. So there's these formulas and they're passed by the legislature and they don't necessarily make sense, but they got to pick a number. So they pick it. I'm a big believer in people having conversations. And that's the other reason why I think prenups are really good. I actually, I wrote an article some time back for Time Magazine. You can still find that online if you Google my name and prenups and Time Magazine will come up and uh, because it's still archived online. And it was, I basically said the most romantic thing you can do is get a prenup because it's a conversation between you and your soon-to-be spouse about what are your expectations of each other. And it also forces you to talk a little bit about, you know, hard things. And and I think that's a good thing. Like, I got to tell you, man, like you're never as aware of your health as when you're sick. You know, you're never as aware of the of how incredible life is until someone you know passes away unexpectedly. And and so we are most alive in the presence of death. We are most healthy when we're in the presence of sickness. Like if you ever had a toothache, you can't think of anything other than the fact that your tooth hurts. And then your tooth stops hurting. And for like a day, you go, oh man, like at least my tooth doesn't hurt. Like, thank God, whatever else this day does to me, at least my tooth doesn't hurt. And then after like a couple of days, you never think about it again. And you, you know, you didn't wake up this morning and go, well, I don't have a toothache, you know. But if you'd had one, you, you know, a couple of days ago, it would be in your mind. Like right now, I remember I used to get annoyed at the gym when I had to wait at the squat rack. And now just the thought of being able to go into a gym and have all that equipment to choose from is like incredible. Like if I could go train jujitsu with literally any blue belt right now, I would wet myself with excitement. (laughs) You know, I I don't need to train with Marcos right now. I don't need to train with like the best people right now. Like just, oh my God, give me like a reasonably unspazzy blue belt and I'll be so happy right now because, you know, and that's, that's exactly what it is with a prenup. I think when you talk to your partner about, look, if we split up, what would that look like? It forces the two of you to think about the fact that, you know, your love is not permanently gifted. It's loan. And, and, and that it's something that this person every day wakes up and decides that they're going to they're gonna continue to give to you and continue to share with you. And I think thinking about the opposite, thinking about losing that is an invitation to, to remembering all the ways that this person makes your life better and the ways that you make their life better and to have conversations about the kinds of things that married people should be able to have conversations about money, sex, 
expectations, family, where you want to live, how you feel about money, all those tough topics that, you know, we don't want to waste a beautiful day talking about. But you know what? I I really believe if we talk about those things on the front end, we'll have a lot more beautiful days with our partners if we can have that tough conversation at the beginning. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Uh, Any last words, uh, Evan? Yeah. So you said you'd kill for a uh, blue belt right now. What about a technical white belt with Mercer? I, I probably still, you know what? If you'd asked me two weeks ago, I would have said no. But now I would be like, you know, Mercer can clear up pretty quick. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, Tom Flick is still out there playing half guard somewhere. He made it to Mercer. Like, I don't, you know, like, I, could, I think it'd be all right. You know, like, yeah, I, I, I would risk Mercer. Like, Mercer compared to COVID. I don't know. It feels like I could, you know, I could take the risk. I mean, I got, I had Impetigo off the mat once. I got, you know, cellulitis once off the mat. I mean, I feel like every jujitsu guy should have ringworm and Mercer at some point. So I, I kind of feel wimpy that I've never had either. So maybe, it, maybe, that, maybe that's how I'll get that first stripe on the ground belt. <laughs> get, out there and get me some MRSA, you know? Uh, take your time with those stripes and brown belt. <laughs> oh, I am. Trust me. Believe uh, me. I'm still getting tapped by two striped purple belts. I, 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 need to, I need to wait for that piece of tape as long as I can. It's fine. Uh, so, James, where can uh, people find you as far as uh, your services, your books, etc.? Yeah, I'm the best portal for all that stuff is if you go to my firm's website, it's nycdivorces.com, plural, NYC, like New York City, divorces, plural.com. So nycdivorces.com, there's a media section that has a lot of my TV appearances and podcasts, and it's got a lot of uh, clips and things, and it's got links to uh, my books, which you can get on Amazon or Barnes & Nobles, or if you want to listen to me talk for eight and a half hours, you can go on Audible and download it and listen to my voice uh, ringing in your ears for eight and a half hours, uh, you know, and 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 uh, yeah, I mean, and I'm on Instagram at NYC Divorce Lawyer, and uh, you can when 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 this is all over, you can find me at Marcelo. Hopefully, awesome. And as always, you guys, you guys can find us at Ratchet Dojo on Instagram and pretty much everywhere on podcasts uh, platform, iTunes, Spotify, etc. James, thank you for your time. Uh, Evan, any last words? Motivational quotes? Nope, that's it. Nope. <laughs> All right, that's guys. It. He's just hes just so excited that I, I picked him as the not divorcing one right now. He just can't wait to tell us. <laughs> yeah, I'm on cloud nine. He's just going back to tell us. I said, guess what? A divorce player told us he's not going to make any money on us. <laughs> I'm just going to I'm gonna tell my wife it's just a matter of time, baby. <laughs> yeah, no. You know what, though? When you're playing above the rim, I bet, Ro. I got to tell you. So you you should just bring the woman flowers. That's uh, hey, like right now. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> bring home flowers every Tuesday. <laughs> Always good. Listen, guys, it was great talking to both of you. It's you been a pleasure, James. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, until next All time, right. you guys, you know, peace. Peace. <laughs>